comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. together from remote galaxies are some of the most sinister podcasters of all time the long box of doom dedicated to a single objective the conquest of the comic book universe everyone and welcome to episode 253 of the long box of doom podcast this is russ and i'm joined tonight with mr jordan from jersey and jim deets good evening guys good evening hey how's it going russ it's good not too bad getting close to christmas it's cold for texas and probably colder for you guys it snowed uh three four inches yesterday we probably got twice that here wow crazy it was. It's been cold enough to snow, but it just it hasn't snowed, um, thankfully, because it would probably actually be ice and it would be really bad. Yeah, that's what it was here. It, it snowed for about twelve hours and then it turned into freezing rain Ooh. and uh, turned into one big sheet of ice out there. It was fun. Yeah, not as bad as. Welcome it, to the Weather Channel podcast. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, not <laughs> we're gonna as be bad talking as... about cold fronts this week. Yeah, this week high pressure, good or bad thing. <laughs> I know Brad and the. Uh, Frank and Bill and the Half Hour Wasted guys all got it bad up in Dallas, uh, which is Dallas is kind of funny because it's it's extreme. They it's they seem to get the extremes of both. Like they get crazy winter weather and then they get crazy hot summer weather. So sounds like a great place to live. Exactly. Sounds like New Jersey, which is not a great place to live. Yeah, <laughs> unless you're in Hoboken, then it's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, because you're in that New York market. That's right. Inside <laughs> right. joke. For us or anyone who's listened to the Shield podcast, and if you're not, you should check it out. Um, so hard pressed to choose. Yeah. So, I I want to talk a little bit about um, Wizard World Austin, the Austin Comic Con. Depending on how you uh, like to call it, uh, Wizard is really trying to push the whole Austin Comic Con thing. Uh, I just tend to call it Wizard World because that's how you know that that's who's putting it on and that's how it's promoted. I think this is the fourth annual. Yeah, I believe this fourth annual. Uh, Austin, Wizard World Austin, which the, it used to be Wizard World Texas that they had in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and it, it took about a year off, and then they moved it down to uh, to Austin. And uh, it was about a month ago at, at this point, um, November 22nd through the 24th, it was the week before Thanksgiving. I was lucky enough to be invited um, by John Mayo and Derek Royal and the con itself to sit on a comics and social media panel on Friday night at 7 um, unfortunately I didn't get to the con on Saturday. I just had a lot of personal stuff going on. My, I was, I was fighting a really bad cold and my wife was pretty sick on Saturday as well. So I ended up going back to the con on Sunday where it was a lot quieter. And so as not to be coughing in people's faces, I didn't uh, this year get any, uh, con floor interviews, unfortunately, but we did get some audio from the panel. So we'll be playing that after afterwards, but, uh, do you have a decent, uh, turnout for the panel? Uh, it was better than I thought, to be honest with you, but not very great. I mean, it, there was about a dozen or so people in the panel, 
which is in general is, is kind of low, but Wizard World Austin typically they they've started expanding the hours on Friday night, uh, and it's gone from uh, I think being open for just a few hours on Friday night where people just typically pick up their passes and stuff, and that's about it. To now it's open I think at three o'clock on a Friday. Uh, and open until about 8 o'clock. And so we're on a panel from 7 to 8 uh, on a Friday night, which is normally a really dead time for the con. So it was really, I mean, no offense to, to the wizard folks, but it was really just a bad time uh, to be on a panel. And all the panels at at, at the uh, con, the way that they have the Austin Convention Center laid out, is they're all on the, what they call the third floor, which is way high up um, off the convention floor. So it's it, you really kind of got to go out of your way to get up to these smaller panel room areas. So given given the fact that it's normally a ghost town uh, on Friday night and it was late, uh, it it was it was a little bit better than I expected. I mean we we were half prepared because this is the first time they've ever done anything like that with podcasters hosting a panel. Uh, that we we're half expected that the three uh, four of us that were on the panel would actually be sitting there kind of chatting amongst ourselves. Mm. But the con itself was is pretty good. It's definitely getting bigger. Uh, I think every year that con grows more and more. Saturday, uh, from what I understand, was really busy. Sunday was was pretty busy. I mean, there were. I mean, it wasn't so jam packed that you couldn't walk through, but it it was it was packed enough. You know, it just wasn't freewheeling to to get around. There seemed to be a lot more vendors there this year than in years past. There was. Um, Artist Alley was, I think, even a little bit bigger this year than last year. Um, and they had some some pretty decent guests. They had Greg Capullo back and his table. His line was ridiculous all weekend long. Neil Adams was there. And uh, his his he had a pretty good long line. But it, he's kind of funny. He charges for inter, for uh, autographs. Uh, so if you want something autographed from him at the con, it's like 20 bucks or something like that. Uh, but he does have prints available. So, you know, if you, if you want... If you buy a print, he'll basically autograph it. So that's not horrible, but uh, it's just kind of unusual for a for a pro like that, other than like Stan Lee, to be charging for autographs. Well, it's weird. It's, I mean, I see things at cons all the time. Like the guy who plays the soup Nazi charges twenty dollars uh, yeah. for his autograph. You know, so it's not that far out of line. But then on the other hand, I see your point. Like when Steranko was here at Pittsburgh Comic Con, he didn't charge anything. You know, he had like books and stuff you could buy. He would sign, but you know, you really you know wasn't charging for a signature so i guess i don't know we could play both ways yeah i mean i I think i mentioned this before but chris claremont was at comic palooza and he charged a dollar per item and i think most of that was just to discourage people from going up there and plopping down you know 50 books and having them you know sign off on them more so than you know him looking at it as a revenue opportunity yeah i was um Neil Adams actually was uh, at Steel City Con here recently with George Takei and a bunch of other people. And I was considering going down there to have him sign my X-Men Omnibus number 2, uh, Volume 2, uh, with, you know, the stuff him and Roy Thomas did. But, uh, you know, once I found out he was charging for signatures, I decided to take a pass. Yeah, and especially when there's so many guys that don't. I mean, you got guys... It's it's funny, because Greg Capullo was there, and... and... I didn't, I mean, I had him sign something the last time uh, he was there. He had a pretty long line, but that guy is just amazing. I mean, he, he stops and takes time to talk to everybody. I mean, he'll take pictures, you know, with you. He'll he'll chat you up. I mean, he'll sign your stuff. He's not one of those that's just kind of like heads down, 
sign your stuff, you know, next please, you know, pushing uh, prints and stuff like that. I mean, he did have some prints there, but um, he's just a, he's just an awesome guy. I mean, you talk about a guy that is just so appreciative of his fans and and just really happy to to be there. Um, it's it's just it's just really kind of a, a stark contrast between him and then you know a couple of these you know guys that are are a little uh, a little more uptight about about those kind of things uh, there. It seems like a lot of the old school guys are pretty cool, you know. Like um, when I met uh, Mike Grell, yeah. he was super nice. He was telling stories and signing stuff and and just like BSing with everybody in the line all at once. And uh, like I said, Stranko was really cool like that. So I guess it's just a case by case basis, you know. Yeah, yeah. And Nick Patara was there, and then Michael Golden, who's always always there. I I got to see real quick. But it was really bad because it was raining that weekend, too. It was really the weather was just horrible. I mean, it was like cold and rainy. Um, and then it, it just was really bad. So I didn't bring my jam piece in to get anybody to do any art on it, part, partially because my budget was a little tight this year. But uh, two, I didn't want the thing getting wet. You know, I didn't I didn't. And it's it's pretty good size. And it and it's like on a hardback Bristol. So it's not anything I could even roll up and put in a tube. Um, and I didn't, like I said, I didn't want it messed up. So I, I kind of took a pass on getting any art. Um, the shopping was okay. Uh, there weren't a ton of trades. It was a lot of toys. I don't, I don't know, Jim, if you've kind of seen that trend between Steel City and Pittsburgh Con, if, if you're seeing a lot more vendors with like cheap or not even cheap, but just a lot of toys as opposed to comics. Yeah, there are, there do seem to be a lot more action figure and toy dealers at the, at the Pittsburgh Comic Con. I mean, still City Con has always been more of a collectibles and toys, uh, show than, than a comic show. But, uh, definitely at Pittsburgh Comic Con this year, there are probably just as many, uh, action figure and, and comic vendors as there were, as there were comic vendors. Yeah. I mean, there were a couple guys that had trades. So I picked up, uh, a few Conan trades of the, uh, Dark Horse reprints of the Marvel stuff. So I got a couple King Conan trades from that run. And then I got a, one trade from the new the Dark Horse run, I think, but that uh, Tim Truman and Carrie Nord um, did the art on, so that was kind of cool. So I'm kind of slowly filling out my collection of of Conan stuff. Um, but it, it was just it was a good time. I mean, uh, you know, that's a con I think that gets better and better every year. I missed um, for all the Walking Dead folks. I missed uh, Michael Rooker versus. I think it was called Michael Rooker versus. The audience was the name of his panel um, on Saturday because again I, I couldn't make it. I was really bummed about that because I was going to record that panel for the for the show. Um, so I didn't really sit in on any of the other panels that any of the pros had uh, that were there to show up on. Scott Bakula and William Shatner did a panel that I wish I would have been able to catch. Um, so I'm hoping Ooh. when it comes next year that. Uh, that I'll be able to to kind of take in the full con as opposed to just kind of having to duck out. Hopefully, uh, hopefully I'll be healthier next year than I was this year. Sweet. So I, I I'm to understand that we have audio feed coming up now of the panel. Yeah. So the the panel itself was myself. It was uh, Derek Royal from Comics Alternative, a guy named Shay Hunnam who does uh, reviews and write ups on ComicsAlternative.com, the website. Um, he also works in a comic shop. Uh, he doesn't do a podcast, but he but he does do reviews uh, and stuff. And then, of course, John Mayo from the comic book page at comicbookpage.com, where he does, if you're not familiar with John Mayo, he does, uh, for CBR, Comic Book Resources, he does their monthly numbers report 
and then he does a podcast. He does what he calls the 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 weekly comic spotlight, where they talk about a Marvel, a DC, and then some other comic that they review. And also uh, monthly, he does a comics numbers podcast, and then a trades numbers pod- podcast, which I always find really fascinating uh, when they talk about the breakdown of the top three hundred comics and the top three hundred trades and trends um, of Marvel and DC and stuff like that. Um, but the panel itself was just uh, the four of us up there just talking about, you know, how we got started, gave us a little bit of an opportunity to kind of plug the website. Uh, we got listed in the program, which is cool. Uh, and then took a few audience questions, and most of them were just around, you know, our approach and, you know, our, you know how, how we got started, what, you know, technically, you know, how we record the podcast and stuff like that. So that was cool. Uh, there was a young lady in the audience that asked about um, trying to get the word out for a comic that she's wanting to draw. And so we all kind of gave our insight on that. And it was it was a good time. So it was about 45, 50 minutes, you'll hear. Um, and then a bunch of us kind of went out and had, had dinner afterward. So that was that was Wizard World. Is that, is, that on the, uh, is that on the audio too, the dinner afterward? That would have been <laughs> probably just as cool as the panel. Um, but no, nobody was recording. And it was really loud in, in the restaurant we're at, so it may have been a mixed bag whether that would have been any good or not. So just to kind of, after you hear the audio, the, the pot will just cut out on, on the podcast. Um, but some of the stuff we got coming up before before we cut over to the to the panel audio, we're going to do our typical annual uh, Sean Pryor, What the Dudes Want for Christmas that we've done every year. I think this will be the sixth year that we've, that we've done that, the sixth time we've done that. Wow. So that's always fun where we... Talk about all the stuff that we want for Christmas, recommendations for other folks. Uh, we'll be kind of cutting it down to the wire this year. Uh, things just kind of kind of slipped towards the end th- this year for whatever reason. Um, and then the duties, which we're actually going to push into January to give us an opportunity to take in everything for the full 2013. We usually try and get that out before the end of the year. Um, and I think having a little bit of breathing room, because there's always some few things that sneak in at the end of the year, whether it be video games or comics or usually movies that that um you know everybody gets that post or that oscar push in so some stuff uh kind of kind of works its way in so that'll give us a, a yeah chance. django unchained was what like december 24th or 25th last year yeah stuff like that you know yeah the, and anchor anchorman 2 anchorman 2 is on christmas day this year yeah um a few other bigger movies are coming out on christmas days wolf of wall street yeah, yeah which looks good and i'm hearing good buzz about it too American yeah. Hustle. Yeah, 47 Ronin, which I think is probably going to be eye candy more than like anything uh, award-worthy. But uh, It's going to get the, my Sucker Punch Award for best-looking video game in a movie that's not a video game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that'll be, that'll be good stuff. And then there's a few other things we're working on. We're trying to put together, again, down to the wire. It may, it may push until the first week of January, but we're working on a X-Men and Avengers 50th anniversary show. So we've we've recorded separately, or we've recorded a bunch of audio. It's going to be kind of like an interview style. It, I think it'll be something fun. Uh, I know some of the guys I've already got the audio in, so I'm trying to clip it all together. But the, but that'll be fun. We just didn't want, you know, it's the 50th anniversary of the X-Men and the Avengers, and we didn't want that to go by unnoticed. So we'll have that coming up. Uh, and then there's a couple other things that we've got, we've got working. Uh, I think that are going to be really cool. Uh, that'll be coming down the pike here pretty quick, and it may be maybe something that's a that's bigger on the crossover side. So you might be hearing um, stuff across the network related to a topic, but uh, but there'll be more to come on that. So good good stuff coming. 
especially since uh, Walking Dead is going on a hiatus for a couple months, and then we got Shield going on hiatus for a month. Uh, so every so that busy side of of the podcast network will kind of be going to sleep for a little bit, and I think that frees us up to to kind of push out some of the stuff that that that's kind of been hanging hanging around for a while. Absolutely. Plus, the duties are always a lot of fun. So. Yeah, yeah, they always are, and I think we'll do our typical. Uh, not necessarily, or that, I think we started it last year, that not necessarily the duties, you know, the stuff that we, uh, that didn't make the final cut for voting, but that we all feel kind of passionately about. So that, that's always fun too. Right. Just, just, yeah, that, that's a great recommendation show. And it's, it's a good way to, to avoid us, you know, doing our top 10 lists like a lot of other podcasts or whatever, you know. Yeah. Indeed. So let's get on to the audio then, the Austin uh, Wizard World Comic Con. Welcome to our panel on uh, comics and social media, the how-tos, the how-much, and the why. One of the reasons why we wanted to do a panel of this sort at the con is that we thought that there are a lot of people who not only love comics, but want to share their love of comics in some way, perhaps using the internets uh, in one form or another, thus the social media, which can include quite a number of things. So we don't have that much time uh, for this panel session. So what we want to do is quickly introduce ourselves and what we do and where we come from, and then, as, as soon as we can, get into Q&A, uh, answer any questions that you guys might have uh, about what we do. Uh, so let's start here on my left with John Mayo. I'm John Mayo of the Comic Book Page Podcast. I've been podcasting since the beginning of 2007. Um, talk about reviews of comics, comic book sales, what's coming out in the previews, and stuff like that. Uh, my name is uh, Derek Royal, and uh, my background is in uh, comic studies and academia. Uh, a little more than a year ago, a colleague and I started a podcast called The Comics Alternative that basically deals with everything other than superhero comics, thus the alternative. And so we've been going strong for a little over a year. I'm Russell Latham. I'm from uh, a website and podcasting network that we call the HHW LOD Podcast Network. Um, and we have about eight to ten shows that vary from comic-centric stuff to just general pop culture kind of talk uh, to TV show-specific stuff. So we do like a show on The Walking Dead TV show, um, on the new S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast. Uh, there's a couple guys that do one on the, the, the new Ica, Ica, uh, the Sleepy Hollow TV show. Um, so it's just kind of a gamut of different pop culture related uh, podcasts that we have uh, on the network. Uh, I'm Shay Henham. I'm the only one here who doesn't do a podcast. Uh, I am the main and mostly, I think we got another guy who does comics, but I'm typically the only one who does comics for uh, thisisinfamous.com, which is kind of a general purpose pop culture website. Uh, and then I contribute reviews to uh, the Comics Alternative blog, and I'm a frequent guest on the podcast there. And then I do a little bit of writing for another blog called The Comical Musings. Uh, before, before we get to uh, questions and ideas that you guys might have, we thought we'd start by asking, how many of you are familiar with anything that any of us up here on the panel do? How many of you have heard one of the podcasts or read one of the blog entries? And, you know, don't be shy. A couple times, which one have you listened to? I'm not sure. I think I saw Okay, so one of us. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't want to tell us which one. The anonymous <laughs> yeah. listener. I, I get a lot of those. No. 
or the kind listener doesn't want to <laughs> pit one uh, panelist against another. So, you know, and, and I think this is one of the challenges that I, at least is in the forefront of what I do in, from, from when I started. I don't know how the rest of you feel this way, but it's in terms of getting the word out. And this is where part of the social media comes in. I mean, when you hear the word, so, or the term social media, I mean, immediately Twitter, Facebook, uh, corporate-like websites of that sort come to mind. But it includes so many other things as well. I mean, what is blogging? What is podcasting? If not networking with others who are of a similar mind or trying to reach people who have similar interests. And so that's all part of the social networking as well. So thinking about how you get the word out, how do you find people who are not only interested in the same things that you are, but would be willing to take 45 minutes, maybe an hour out of their lives, maybe not all at once, but maybe you know in pieces, to listen to your podcast or read a review on a blog. Um, so getting the word out is a challenge for, for me, I know. Uh, and I'd like to maybe throw to you guys, uh, how do you get the word out about what you do in terms of talking about comics? That's, that's a great question. That's one of the things I struggle with the most because, I mean, I've been podcasting for years. I've got hun literally hundreds and hundreds of episodes and hours out there, but I'm really an introvert. So the whole, you know, promoting the podcast and stuff is something I know I do very, frankly, very poorly and stuff. But between guesting on other podcasts, uh, I do a column over comic book resources, panels like this at conventions, uh, things of that nature. That's kind of how I try to get the word out. It's hard. Um, you know, that's that's the main thing is, you know, people think it's easy. You throw something up on Facebook or you tweet it out and a billion people hear it and it's really not the case. It's it's hard to, especially in a niche. I mean, we're, you know, com especially comics podcasting is really a niche of a niche. Um, you know, people people out there that that are that interested in comics are are small in and of itself, and then people that are that interested in it that they're gonna, you know, proactively go out and seek either you know websites or you know audio listen to podcasts through either iTunes or through your website or whatever uh, is an even smaller number. Um, and one of the approaches that we decided to take is bringing more folks in and trying to expand the scope. So not just talk about comics, but what else can we do that's related to comics or that, you know, can cause people to branch out. And so that's why we took, you know, picked up stuff related to TV, which has a much, you know, broader mass appeal than just the comics related stuff and try and use that to bring audience from, you know, one medium to another. Um, and then, you know, also by using Facebook, using Twitter, uh, you know, trying to, to, you know, pull people to our website as much as possible. Uh, the other thing that helps, too, is is just using other PR folks, you know, not just social media, but, you know, especially, like I said, for the Walking Dead TV podcast, there are PR folks that we have out there that we've talked to to get interviews with cast and crew from the show. Um, so, again, when you have those people on your podcast or on your website, they tweet out, they put it on Facebook, and they help spread the word. And that Honestly, that seems to have worked better for us than than just trying this grassroots level um, thing. The other thing about comics podcasting is it tends to be somewhat incestuous. I would say, you know, it, you know, a lot of people just listen to comic podcasts that listen to other comics podcasts or started a comics podcast because they they liked one or because they were on one or or whatnot. So you you tend to all be competing, if that's the right word, for the same audience pool. Um, so that's a little tough as well. You know, trying to break out of that, you know, that network, uh, that smaller network is, is tricky. 
Uh, I'm really the odd man out here because uh, you guys all kind of run your own thing, and so that's something that you have to worry about doing. Uh, I write for a website that I don't actually run, and so there's a guy whose job it is is to kind of uh, figure out how to get you know the articles on the site higher on Google Google search results. Um, yeah, like Russell was saying, like anytime you interview anyone or you write a review of someone's work and you let them know that that it exists, uh, a lot of the people are, are more than happy to kind of get the word out there that it exists and show people that you're there talking about their work and it's it's kind of a selfish thing, but it gets you hits too. So, yeah. So, uh, Shay, let me ask. Now, when you put up one of your reviews on This is Infamous, mm -hmm. uh, you just basically submit the review. You don't do anything outside of maybe tweeting through your personal account to say, hey, guys, i got a review up. Uh, I'm, you know, it, we post it to the um, This Infamous Facebook account, um, and so people see it there, and then that automatically posts to Twitter, um, and then I do post it to my, my own Facebook page or my own uh, Twitter account. Uh, and then I also work at a comic book store, and so we have our uh, a Facebook page for that. And when it's applicable, uh, I can convince my bosses it's it's something worth sharing. Uh, I also share it there. So yeah, Facebook and Twitter is really all I do to get my stuff out there. Uh, but like I said, it's, it's, we we have someone. Uh, we're fortunate enough to have someone whose job it is is to make sure people see it. So, well, one of the reasons I was asking you about what you do to get the word out about the blog is that um, one of the reasons why Shay is part of, and not the only reason, that Shay is part of the Comics Alternative community is because about a few months ago, uh, my colleague at the Comics Alternative and I thought, well, addressing this very question, how do we get the word out about the podcast? Maybe we should enhance the website. And one way of enhancing the website outside of the noises of that sort uh, that get people's attention is that, um, well, we put more content up on the website via the blog, reviews, commentaries, things that are a little more timely. And so we invited a lot of people, well, kind of a lot of people, to submit. You know, you want to do a review, you want to write up something about newer or older comics, whatever the case is, as long as it falls within the parameters of our podcast, we're fine with that. And so uh, Shay has been writing for the blog for about two or three months now, and I would like to think that what he has to say about, uh, um, let's say, March mm -hmm. uh, was, I think, the second book that, yeah. that you reviewed, which was one of those books, those graphic novels that got you know quite a bit of press, um, that someone doing a web search would look for, you know, John Lewis, March, eventually come to his review on the Comics Alternative, find out something about the Comics Alternative, but it would also help him in terms of the reviews that he writes on This is Infamous. Mm -hmm. And so it would help This is Infamous as well. So this kind of all, at least ideally, would feed in one to the other, the podcast, the blog, getting the word out. Yeah, it kind of um, is like what Russell was saying. It is a little incestuous. You know, you, you do get, um, you know, you work here, and they see it, and then they go find your work some other place, and, and it is the same sort of audience. Um, you're not bringing in new audience, but it, it's the same sort of thing that he was talking about, I, I think. Where, But I, I try to leverage that, actually. Yeah. I do an episode every month, the uh, preview spotlight, where we talk about what comics are being announced that are going to come out in three months. And I do that as a clip show, and mm -hmm. I let people send in clips. Derek sends in a ton every time. And your reading habits are very different than mine, and I think that's great, because I'll talk about a lot of superhero stuff. You'll talk about some more you know, indie stuff, things like March, stuff like that, that I just don't read and therefore don't have much interest in or whatever. 
But by doing that, I let these other people plug their own shows. Their audience, you know, learns about my podcast and stuff like that. It's a win-win for everybody. Yeah, you do kind of. Uh, it's it's a little give and take. You kind of bring your audience over, and then you get your audience from this place, and you bring them over to where you mostly exactly. do your stuff. So. Yeah, it's it's like it's a healthy relationship, you know, unlike an actual incestuous relationship. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's it's the same sort of thing. One other thing that that uh, Russell mentioned was the the niche of the niche aspect, and I've had a lot of people ask, you know, am I going to monetize the website or whatever? And I'm like, I, I know how comic books are selling, and my podcast is going to hit a fraction of that audience. So I think, you know, the ability, at least for me, to monetize this is negligible because literally of that niche of a niche aspect. And I'm kind of wondering, uh, out of all you guys out there, how many of you actually read comics? And by that, I'll use a very loose definition of there's one comic book that you will go to the comic store week after week, month after month, and pick up subsequent issues of. Okay, actually, a lot more than I was expecting. <laughs> that, that's very reassuring. Thank you. <laughs> Because I, I sometimes wonder if people come to conventions like this because of the celebrities, the movie tie-ins, the TV tie-ins, and stuff like that, which is, I mean, that's part of why I'm here, too. Um, but again, I look at some of the sales numbers, and I wonder just how, how small the niche is, and then how small the niche of podcasting, living comics, is of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that question is going to get you different results at different conventions, because um, there there is certainly a different ethos when you go to like Heroes Con or Emerald City, and then you go to oh. a Wizard World. Yeah. So it's it's a, a much different sort of people who are going to go, who are going to be attracted to those different conventions. Uh, maybe what we can do in transitioning from the kind of things that we may want to say about what we do on our blogs, podcasts, and whatnot, and what you guys are thinking about, what's percolating in your heads, is to ask, has anyone here in the audience... Um, done anything like a podcast or a blog? Do you have one that's ongoing? Do you have one that you've just set up? Or do you have an idea that you may want to take public in terms of a blog, a podcast, a website, or what have you? And, and what kind of ideas or blogs or podcasts might they be? Uh, I work on um, and the name of the website is Random Bits of Geek. Okay, let's hear that. Random Bits of Geek, because I think I think it's important to get the word out about what each of us are doing. Uh, as niche as it might be, um, so check that out. Um, is, is there a particular kind of challenge? I mean, obviously you said that it went under, uh, so there's some kind of challenge <laughs> going on there um, because of. Well, part of it is um, so I'm not actually on the podcast. I do uh, because um, it's uh, I'm originally from Lubbock and Texas, and down here. Um, my friends started doing this podcast at uh, Lubbock uh, because pretty much the only people out there in the town who are into really into culture stuff. And um, so part of it has been communication, trying to collaborate online. Um, 
everybody's got a full-time job that, you know, it's fits into uh, the two main guys on our podcast for eight hours and the same restaurant. So that's been, that's been a big problem. They've got, they got, you know, their, their day jobs get hidden uh, away a lot. Um, so that's, that's been our main issue. It's just that they just haven't had time to do the podcast. I have definitely found that one of the challenges of doing a podcast, and again, I've been doing it, you know, since the beginning of 2007 and stuff, life gets in the way. That gets tough, you know, and one of the things, I forget who had said it first, I think it was Jerry Seinfeld, if you want to keep doing something, you know, do it one day, mark the X on the calendar, do it again, mark the X, you've got a chain, don't break the chain. And I've been doing a weekly podcast, you know, making a very big point, never miss a week. But... I'll admit, there have been times that's been really, really hard to do. And when I had first started, I podfaded for a while. It was just me as a solo podcast. And in my mind, there are three kinds of podcasts, and I don't know if you guys would agree with this or not. There's the solo podcaster, where it's basically all it takes is you to sit down with a microphone and something to record with and some time, and then put it up. Then there's the, the two people talking podcast. You get a good conversation going. I, I, that's the type I personally like. And then there is the a group of people, kind of like we've got here, we got multiple voices and such. Um, and to me, the difference with that is it's almost like, as a listener, you're kind of in the next booth over at the restaurant overhearing somebody else's conversation. They've got the in-jokes and that kind of stuff. And there's a little of that when you've got two people back and forth, but I think that's a different dynamic. There's a discussion there going on. And each of those have different challenges in terms of getting the podcast going and keeping it going. And I think trying to transition from one of those types to the other can be challenging, but, you know, it's worthwhile. Now, in terms of your friends being in Lubbock and, and you not, everything I do is over Skype. So distance has, has no bearing for what I do. Now, on your podcast, do you uh, use Skype or, or you guys, they are in the same room? We, it, it's funny how it's kind of evolved over time. When we first started, <clears throat> I live in a pretty rural area south of Austin. And for a long time, the best, I had satellite internet, which has, to get a little technical, it has very high latency, so it doesn't work well with Skype at all. Um, so we would record on, on Skype, and then the guys would call me on my cell, and so, and we'd record that way, and it worked out okay. Um, and then we migrated once, once I kind of joined the 21st century, uh, we, we all migrated to Skype, and we recorded that way for a while, and one of the things we found was, we just had weird audio issues. Our, for most of the podcasts on our network, um, especially the ones that I participate on and a couple others, we're very finicky about audio quality, and for whatever reason, we just kind of we're just kind of uh, retentive about it, let's say. And we we've migrated off to using Skype only as a vehicle for for us to communicate with each other. So we've gone to what we call multi-track recording. So each person actually just records directly into their computer or their laptop or their tablet or whatever. And then we pull all those separate recording files into Audacity, which you can use to record for, it's a free application. Um, and it gives a lot of fine-tuned control over each track. So if somebody's, you know, opening a bag of chips in the background and munching on them, we can just silence that out and it doesn't affect anybody else's talking. Or, um, you know, occasionally what happens with me is, is, or, and not just me, Skype can be kind of finicky sometimes. It can be very cruel. And one of us will drop out. And if you're in the middle of finishing a thought and just like maybe half a sentence short, um, if one person is recording and, and you drop out, you're, you're, you know, you miss it. With the way we record now, 
most of everybody else kind of gets the gist of what we're saying, and, and that last little bit gets saved on there. So we've, we've evolved how we record over time. Um, and some of the other shows on there just use the straight Skype method. They, they all get on Skype. Um, one person records and captures all the audio in, in one stream, and, and they edit it that way. Um, but we just found for what we do, because we have people all over the place. I mean, I'm in Texas. Uh, there's a couple of the guys that are in Pennsylvania. One of them's in New Jersey. One of them's in New York. Uh, so we're all kind of spread out, and it just it just seemed to work that way better for us uh, to record multi-track. So it's it's been it's been an interesting evolution uh, as we try and leverage the technology as best we can. I went through a period where, in addition to recording on Skype, we did the same thing. I was recording into Audacity. The other person was recording into Audacity. Just because we were hitting enough internet issues or computer issues, whatever, where we lose the connection and stuff. And having that as a backup, nine times out of ten, we didn't need. But, man, that tenth time, it's really handy. Yeah. yeah. And what we found, too, is the audio quality just went way up. Like, it sounds a lot better because... If somebody has a flaky connection or just all those people on Skype, yeah. you can tell the difference. You can tell the person that is re that is doing the recording because they sound very, very, very clear. And then the other folks, it's not that they sound bad, but you can tell. You know, you can tell that that their you know their quality is a little different. And you know, like I said, part of it is I I just I do most of the editing for the shows, uh, so I kind of have an ear for it and pay attention to it. Um, but like I said, going to that multi-track, it just made a world of difference for us. It, 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 you know, we could really just, like I said, get that fine control. What I've noticed doing interviews is you've got people on cell phone, that's kind of like the worst quality. Then you've got people on landline, that's better quality. Then you've got people on Skype, that's better quality. But then when you've got people actually recording themselves locally, that's the best you can get. And if you're going to record on Skype, and again, I do that for most of my stuff, you can get programs that will record you on one track, the other person on another track, which is, again, part of why I like doing just two-people podcasts. And that way, I can edit me, I can edit Derek to a different level, I can clean stuff up. It's, we talk over, I can shift that around a little. It, it gives you a lot more flexibility. Now, let me, let me um, uh, respond because um, when we first got going with the Comics Alternative, one of the podcasts that I listened to on a regular basis was John's comic book page. So when we got started, I mean, what do you do, you know, when you start something for the first time? You contact someone who is a professional, someone who's been doing it a long time. And so I contacted John, and actually I contacted a number of other podcasters. Uh, Chris Marshall was another one who uh, I contacted uh, of uh, the Collected Comics Library. A very good, and, and he's a solo deal. Uh, he he's one of those weird who does it by himself. And I have to say, of the several podcasters or the podcast programs that I contacted, it was only you and and Chris who actually took the time to not only email me once with a response, but follow-ups, and I, re I really appreciate that. And, that. and that goes a long way. So, uh, and, and I won't mention the other podcasters, and, and there were some who were extremely famous, that if I said their name and it rhymed with freak, you'd know um, kind of you know, who I'm referring to, but I won't name any names. They didn't respond, but, uh, but John did. And one of the things that John said when he responded was, he gave me suggestions of software, and he was telling me some of the things he just mentioned now about the multi-track and, and whatnot. Now, the difference was he uses Windows or yeah. a PC. I use a Mac, and I don't know how many people use Mac and have tried to do things like recording via Skype. You're very, very limited in terms of the software options, and so that's one of the challenges that I've had to face. With only one exception... 
I've never had a problem with the, soft, uh, the software program that I use to record directly from Skype, both me and then my colleague at a distance, and then others that we may have on the podcast. For instance, a few weeks ago, you know, John and Chris and my colleague Andy and I, do uh, we did what we've done every now and again, a roundtable discussion where four of us get on and talk about a topic. And so only once in the past little more than a year have I had technical difficulties using Skype and recording that way. But uh, the kind of program that you may use, which is? Uh, I use actually a couple. I use PowerGrammo uh, to record. I use G Recorder, which will also save it into Gmail. And I've recently picked up uh, another one. And these are like $10, $20 pieces of software, EVA uh, uh, or something like that. Um, and part of the reason I picked up that last one is is uh, Microsoft announced they were going to discontinue the desktop API and certain programs were going to work. Search for uh, Skype recording, whichever operating system you're on. There are some easy alternatives and stuff like that. And I've had a few times over the seven years where I've switched programs because Skype would upgrade, it would break something, or I'd get glitches, stuff like that. But between uh, PowerGram I use a lot and Audacity for the editing, I mean, I'm doing like a zero-budget podcast. I spend my money on comics, not on audio equipment. So, yeah. And so, you know, I use Audacity, which they do have for the Mac, but I can't use some of the other programs that he used because they don't have it for the Mac. So I'm more or less locked into it's called Sound Recorder, which basically mm -hmm. piggybacks on top of Skype. Has served me well. Like I said, only once within the past, you know, 13, 14 months have there been problems, but I think that was on my local end. I think my my time machine was backing up at the time and using resources, but I won't go into detail there. Um, you know, John John just mentioned something about the cost. And that's part of the title of our panel, you know, the how-tos, the how-much. Uh, and so maybe we can transition in our limited time that we have uh, to issues of cost. You know, do you want to spend money in terms of getting the word out about whatever it is you have to say in terms of the blogs, the podcasts, the websites, or would you rather put that money into comics, graphic novels, and what have you? Um, so I, I'm curious to know how the rest of you uh, finance what you do uh, from the technical stuff, the equipment that you get, You're just buying books so you can review. Uh, yeah, uh, you do the comics alternative, so you finance that. Um, I don't know where the money comes from for this is infamous, but um, it comes from somewhere. But uh, I, I, you know, I buy comics anyway, so it's not like I have to divert money to that. And I get a lot of free stuff, which is cool. I mean, that's one of the perks is free comics. So and you work at a comic shop. I do work at a comic shop, so I get a discount. Which um, which comic shop? So we can plug them. Uh, Collected Comics in Plano, oh, Texas, okay. up by Dallas. So um, this was a little bit of a road trip for me to get down that's here. Right. Used to be a uh, yeah. So that's why he comes in because he's he, you know he lives pretty close. But yeah, I I'd be the the worst person to ask because it it costs me nothing. Uh, I know this infamous is is powered by WordPress, and I know WordPress costs money. Uh, but you can get, you know, Blogspot or, or Tumblr for uh, free. You can get WordPress uh, for free. Oh, can stuff. you? I host it on my oh. local site. It doesn't cost me a cent. Yeah. So. Again, I'm the I would be the worst person to ask in on the question of money because it comes from somewhere. But Someone's it's not money. costing you anything, so you're doing it right. That's true. It costs me nothing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. At least for the technical stuff. But I mean, you you said I get comics anyhow. Well, what if you want to review a number of comics and you don't have the money to review as much as you would like to review? You know, one of the things you can do mm -hmm. as a reviewer, because you have re reviewed for This mm -hmm. Is Infamous as well as the Comics Alternative, you can contact the publisher and say, I write book reviews. 
can you send me a review copy? Of course, yeah, they can say no, but yeah, many times... Don't say that if, if you're, like, not actually, because they, they don't like that. But if you're, like, legitimately want to review it, um, a, lot of, a lot of people are more than happy to send you a book or, or sometimes a digital copy of a book so you can check it out and, and write about it or talk about it. So, yeah, and... But I'm, again, I'm kind of the odd man. I know you buy like a bunch of books and then kind of talk about it. Uh, I buy the books first and then kind of decide what I, what I want to talk about. So it's, I'm never in the position where I have to pay money for something I, I don't really have any interest in and then talk that, about. That it. chicken and egg thing I think is an important yeah. thing because I limit what I talk about to what I'm already buying. Mm -hmm. I, I occasionally, like, uh, when I go out to San Diego, I get my comics through mail order. So it's like I've left town. I'm not going to get my comics. So I got to go pick them up locally. At which point, okay, fine, I'll, I'll let my co-host pick some stuff that I'm not reading, and I'll pick it up explicitly to review it. But that's like, you know, once a year thing at best. Uh, but I try to limit it again to what I'm already getting, because, you know, cheap, and I'm already getting it. And I buy a lot anyways. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm in the same boat. I, I buy a disgusting amount of comics. <laughs> so, but I, I know I know Derek likes to... How many a week? I got how many a week? Um, I mean, I, I typically spend more on, like, collections of stuff, but, you know, like, 20 or 30 books a month, and then uh, a, a lot of a lot of manga, a lot of uh, like Franco-Belgian comics, and okay. then uh, stuff you can't get in individual issues. And, uh, uh, in terms of the number of comics, though, I would not if if you know. um, like like pamphlet comics. Yeah, issues uh, a month, uh, maybe 30, 35. Okay, that's yeah, that's that's yeah. small change. <laughs> John's a high roller. I, I read more than that. I also work in a comic book store, so I don't make that much. That's so, fair, but yeah. again, you yeah. get to read. Yeah. That's true. Yes. I do. I, that's one of the perks. I get to read a lot of stuff off the wall. A lot of stuff that I, I wouldn't pay money for at all. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, that, that is one of the perks to read garbage comics. And uh, the problem I had was I used to work at a comic store, so I used to read all the stuff, and then I stopped working, and I kept buying it. Yeah, <laughs> didn't have the employee discount. And yeah, yeah. Yeah, the employee discount makes a. Uh, it's important. Yeah, it is. It is nice. But for our stuff, as far as cost goes, we've kind of like the recording side of it. We've kind of gone through an iteration on the website. Um, when when the podcast was first started, it was it was a single podcast for a, a few guys that lived up in Dallas actually, and a few of us on the on one of the message boards kind of uh, kind of crashed their party and then started doing all kinds of stuff. Um, but they used um, the format for podcast the podcast format the pay format. That you oh, Libsyn. Libsyn. Sorry, thank you. Uh, they used Libsyn for a while. Libsyn is very limiting. Um, there's, there's fees associated with it and it depends, you know, you can only publish so much over a period of time. Um, and they charge you per feed. So if you have multiple shows, you're paying multiple, you know, subscriptions basically. And again, depending on your tier of subscriptions, you can only put out so many hours of podcasting per week or per month, um, which we found to be kind of limiting, uh, when we started. So what we did was we ditched the Libsyn model and we went and built our own site using. Uh, so we got some web hosting, uh, which is about it's about 120 bucks a, a year, which isn't bad. It's it's you know unlimited hosting gives us everything. Uh, there's a lot of packages out there. We use a package called Joomla, which is a content management system, um, kind of similar to WordPress, a little more elaborate than than WordPress. Um, I a company I was working for at the time used it, so I had some familiarity with it. Uh, it allows us to publish and create multiple podcast feeds, um, and then gives us the flex flexibility to do cool stuff with the site itself, to with articles, with video, with 
kind of slideshowy kind of stuff. Um, so me and one of the other guys kind of just kind of took the mantle of being webmaster and, and started going to town with it. So we've done it that way. Um, and like I said, the, the hosting itself isn't that bad. It's, it's only 120 bucks for the year. Um, we've been lucky enough that, like I mentioned before, we have a podcast for The Walking Dead TV show that's pretty popular, and we're able to get a little bit of sponsorship from uh, a mail-order comic company called Discount Comic Book Service. And so they provide us a little bit of support for show, and that pretty much covers the hosting for the year. It also allows us to get a little bit of equipment. Um, some of us, most of us have kind of migrated off of like headset microphones um, to actual microphones. The one I use is very similar to this one here. Um, a couple of the guys use what uh, called a snowball microphone from a company called Blue. Uh, it's about 40, 45 bucks. They work very, very well. Uh, they're USB based. You just plug it into your computer's USB port and you're good to go. Um, a couple of us have gotten mixers. So it allows us to do multi-port recording. So if we're, we can take it to a con. If we're doing interviews, it allows us to kind of have that, again, that fine control over, over multiple people where if somebody's talking real low, you can kind of turn the knob up on them and then, and then turn it back down. It just gives us that, a little more control. Um, and those range anywhere from 50 to 150 bucks, but they're by no means, you know, necessary. Um, and then just, you know, most of the software we use is free. I mean, Audacity is free. Uh, there's a lot of free Skype recorders, and then the ones like John was saying that aren't free are usually fairly reasonable between, yeah. you know, ten and thirty dollars, uh, and and not that bad at all. So it's it's relatively. I mean, it's like anything else. You know, you can, you know, you can buy the thirty nine ninety nine Blu-ray player at Walmart, or you can go to you know the home theater store and buy one for you know four hundred ninety nine dollars. That does everything. So you can same thing with podcasting. I mean, you can go just as bare bones and and cheap as you want, or you can get as elaborate and crazy as you, as you want to get as well. Um, and we've kind of found, I guess, a happy medium somewhere on the lower end end of that. Yeah. You know, I, I think the bottom line, what all of us are, have to say here is that when it comes to websites, blogs, uh, podcasting, I mean, you can get out really, really cheap. Uh, you know, I already had a domain name and a server uh, company that I was using, and it's a lot cheaper than the, than the 120. I, I use Monst, uh, Host Monster. Uh, really good deal, unlimited space. And so when we started the Comics Alternative, basically we just bought the domain name, and that's negligible for each year, and then brought it under the umbrella of my Host Monster account. So it doesn't cost us much to do the podcast. And in terms of the equipment, something like a microphone or, or any kind of the hardware, yeah, it might, but even over time, you know, it's uh, relatively inexpensive. So if you wanted to do things on your own and using the tools that are out there, not only Audacity, but also some of those other social networking resources that we all know about, like Twitter and, and, and Facebook, you know, I mean, those are effective ways of getting the word out and sharing your own interests and ideas and getting and launching something uh, that you have, getting something off the ground, uh, whether it be, you know, a blog, pod, a website, or a podcast, or what have you. I mean, even books, you know, Shea said he only, you know, reviews the books that he buys. You know, once you get going, you can contact publishers, and if you can demonstrate, I've got some track record, you know, would you put me on your media mailing list? Many of them will. Some won't. And it may not be hard copies, but they'll be digital. And that's more information, that's more text than you had beforehand. Yeah, you can just, like, hop on, get Tumblr, which is free, and, you know, just 
couple hundred words about some comic you like or some TV show you like, and you know, it's free to you, and you can get it out there. And you know, well, Tumblr is kind of like a double-edged sword because you can find stuff, the other other stuff, pretty easily. But most people scroll past anything that's not Adventure Time or porn. Yeah. Well, one of the things I had recently that was kind of interesting is uh, we had um, reviewed a, a comic and gave it a not so glowing review, but it was a small press comic and. One of the creators got wind of the review, listened to it, and sent us an email thanking us for reviewing it. Sorry we didn't like it. Would you like preview copies, you know, press copies or whatever, for, for future issues? Because yeah. we had indicated we probably weren't going to stick with the book. Yeah, a lot, a lot of the small press guys are, like, more than happy to, I mean, even if it's just a digital comic. You know, I, I was on the Internet, and I found this really awesome-looking X-Men, bootleg X-Men mini-comic, and... I emailed him and said, hey, you know, this looks cool. Can you send me a copy? And he's like, yeah. And, you know, he express mailed it, like, the next day it was at my house. So Well, we wound up getting PDF of the second issue of that thing that neither of us probably would have picked up. What liked it a lot more than the first issue, and now I think we're both going to be getting the book. Yeah. So, so, I mean, it often can work out for the creators. Yeah, they're 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 usually pretty pretty good about being, like, friendly and stuff. Like yeah, that. and found. the lesson here is, the lesson learned is people do listen. Even though you think that you may be speaking to only one or two other people, you know, the incestuous idea that, uh, that, that came up a few times earlier, uh, that it does get outside the immediate family. Uh, now, uh, we have probably a little less than 10 minutes right now, and are there any questions that the audience uh, may have? Yes, about this. I have a few questions, and I think my main question is coming with the whole thing is a gigantic discourse community. And like this is a niche within a niche. And so social networking has just increased over time. You have Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Reddit. You've got all sorts of outlets for information. And it's really hard to reach out to every source. And I used to uh, run a little mom and pop stores. And they would always want to advertise you know, to the community via Facebook. And, the response is hard to get back. So has social networking really helped the comic book industry, or has it just made it another obstacle? And with the release of iPads and Kindle, uh, you can buy comic books and issues on your tablets. Is it possible that you could get like a way to communicate with reviews on those products? Whenever like they pick up an issue that they want to read and find your review or so see their podcast in order just to kind of spread their name. Along those lines, there's a site called Comic Book DB. It's kind of like the IMDb for comics. And um, one of the things I make a point of doing is every week after I do the weekly comic spotlight and it goes up, I go link my reviews to that site. Now, whether that's really driving in new traffic or not, don't know. But I know they've got probably 70 or 80 different podcasts that have started doing or have done that sort of a thing. I haven't checked how many are still doing it, but again, I've probably got easily well over a thousand different reviews up there and stuff. So uh, I think it's definitely helped because um, you know you you post something on on Twitter and you you know you CC someone who you, you wrote about or the publisher of the book you reviewed. Um, and they'll, you know, it's, it's really easy for them to hit retweet, you know, just a, a simple button. Uh, they don't have to do a lot of work. Um, and I found that that, you know, just that simple thing of putting it on Twitter does get you more hits. 
Um, it also helps if you like write something about uh, Chuck Palahniuk, is I found is the best way to get traffic to your site, uh, because he'll get uh, like 11,000 retweets in an hour. So Yeah, and, th and that's something that I've learned, is if you can get certain people to retweet one of your tweets on Twitter, then that can really drive up audience. Uh, about three months ago, my uh, colleague Andy and I interviewed Matt Fraction on the podcast, and this was right when Sex Criminal... No, no, no. This, Satellite Sam, right? Satellite Sam had just come out, and then Sex Criminals hadn't yet come out, but we had review copies that Matt gave us, and so we were able to talk about the first two issues, I think, of Satellite Sam and the first issue of Sex Criminals. And when we put out, when we tweeted, yes, we interview um, Matt Fraction, and we even made a joke, as, as Matt made on the podcast, uh, without going into too much detail, he tried to capture the sound effect of what he called whiskey dick. Um, and we tweeted that, and I didn't think anything would come of that. He retweeted that, and him retweeting our tweet, plus the content of the tweet, which is a little intriguing, got us tons and tons of traffic. Uh, I was looking at the number of downloads we got afterwards. And if, if we could sustain that every single week, it would be great, but we can't. But getting people or organizations who have a large outreach to retweet or to connect or to post or to like on Facebook or, or what have you, what you do can go a long way. So it, you know, there's a lot of competition out there right now on the internet. It's just so prolific. When I first had a web uh, website in the mid '90s, the Gallery of the Absurd, um, I was almost the only game in town. And I would get people from all over the world contacting me, asking me about the website, contributing things to the website. Um, it wouldn't happen now. Uh, now you are a voice among millions. And so the challenge is getting the word out, connecting, and how do you do that in an effective and time-costly way? I think uh, if you're going to worry about something, worry about doing something cool and different that people are interested in, because I found... You know, put something out that is is cool that you know is, is is unique and different, and you know even if you're talking about a book that's been talked about a million times, if you see something new or you say it in an interesting way, people will find yourself. Well, I also find doing it in a polite way. I've listened to a couple of podcasts that seem to forget the fact that the people who produce comics are actually people, and just tear into them. Yeah, don't don't be a jerk. I've yeah. I try to find even if it's like a book I don't like, I try and say, you know, this aspect of it isn't great, but you know, it's not all bad. Because I, mean, I, I know that it is human beings who are yeah. who produce this work and, and are probably gonna read it. I know uh Derek once uh, posted not too kind words about the uh, a guest at this convention actually. Oh yeah. And uh found that, that Certain person had a uh, like a Google alert set to their name, so. <laughs> okay, what he's referring to, Joe Eisma, who is an incredibly nice guy, and so you while you're here, him? yeah, I wasn't gonna name names. <laughs> while you're here, go go and see him and talk to him and tell him how much you love his work because he's a great guy and he does great work. Um, I had written, and this was actually on my personal blog, not on the Comics Alternative blog. Um, a mixed, if not negative, review of Morning Glories, which everyone gushed over. And I took the opposite uh, position. I said, well, you know, it's not as great as everyone says. And I took a little issue with not only the storyline, but the art, and I found the storyline 
at that time a little derivative of lost, a little too much. And um, and actually, the day after my posting went up, uh, Joe Isma emailed me and said, thank you for your comments. I'm sorry that you didn't you know, like the comic. Um, it may be a good idea to spell my name correctly consistently next time. That okay. I did not apologize for my criticism, although I did feel bad that you know, oops, you know, the artist didn't get in touch with me. But I felt bad, especially being an English professor, that I didn't proofread uh, my uh, and I spelt it correctly two times, not the last time. So. Uh, and I aspire to have to I do it two ways. One is that at a convention like this, I go through Artist Alley. I go to San Diego Comic-Con every year, I go through Artist Alley. Some years I don't find anything, other years it's like, wow, this is really cool, it's great art, it's a cool story, whatever. The other thing I do is I do that preview spotlight I was mentioning. We go through previews, certainly not, you know, cover to cover, page by page, whatever, but when I go through the order form every month, I'm going through that back half. My reading list is about a third DC, about a third Marvel, and about a third everything else. So, you know, I saw that, that Morning Glories when it first came out. It's like, yeah, okay, lost me, turn away, whatever. I'll give it a shot. The art looks good or whatever. You know, um, sometimes I, I strike gold. I get something that's really great. Number Cruncher from Titan Comics was one of those. Other times I get something that's like, wow, this is all print. You know, they, they could have used a little better editor, a little more time, whatever. Um, but you just got to keep looking at stuff. And then for us, in terms of the indie, um, I mean, we normally, given the fact that we're the comics alternative, we're looking at the other stuff, I mean, we, we try to find it. But because we're the comics alternative, we have had quite a number of people with not only what you would call indie comics, but these micro-comics, um, you know, people who self-publish, send us stuff and email us and said, would you review our stuff on your podcast? And sometimes we do, sometimes we don't, and it's not because we don't like the material, we just don't have the time. Um, but, you know, if you're a creator and you have this material and you want to get the word out, contacting podcasters and bloggers and reviewers, that's that can be effective. Yeah, I, I just use Tumblr. Be persistent. We have reached the end of our time. Uh, I want to thank everyone for coming here. Obviously, everyone here on the panel and especially the audience. If you have any questions for any of us uh, or if we have some for you, we can uh, pose these afterwards and take it outside. But thank you, everyone, for attending. <laughs>